Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. If you would turn your scripture to the book of Colossians, the second chapter, and beginning with the sixth verse, you would find these words so written. The Apostle Paul is speaking, saying, As therefore you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so live in him, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, thus as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one makes a prey of you by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirit of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness of life in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh and the circumcision of Christ, and you were buried with him in baptism, and which you were also raised with him through faith and working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together in him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, having canceled the bond which stood against us with his legal demand. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in him. Lord, help us to understand what you're trying to tell us about a way of life for each one of us today. I like that verse where the Apostle Paul there in the seventh verse where he is calling for us as it is in the revised or the modern language version and be filled with thanksgiving and be filled with thanksgiving. And I think he had more in mind uh, than what we're thinking of when we think about the Thanksgiving Day and the big, uh, big meal that we're going to have. Our fathers did set aside a day for us to give thanks and start this nation in its proper direction. And from that, that we have received all these wonderful things that we receive and have. I also take note of the fact that it's in the book of Psalms where the psalmist says that it's more pleasing to God to be thankful or to have thankful children than it is for his children to come before him and to offer sacrifice, regardless of what that sacrifice might be. Now, it's not to preempt the fact of the service that we are to sacrifice as they did back then, but in our own fashion, that uh, he does not ask us to discontinue the giving and the making of a sacrifice, but he says that there's something that is more profound and more beautiful to God uh, than this, and that is for us to be grateful children. Well, I suppose it is so. No, that's wrong. I know that it is so. Because, you see, the truth of it is it's the same with us as it is with our Heavenly Father. Those of us who are parents and have children, we know the the greatest thing that we have, the greatest gift that God has given to us, of course, it is our children. It is in our children that we have our greatest hopes. It is within our children in a sense that we, in a fashion, want to live on here upon this earth. And 
it is within our children that we have all of these great expectations that we have. And when they do not measure up, it is a disaster for us. It isn't anything any more wonderful than to have uh, thankful and grateful children. Some of the greatest disasters that I have ever been in and been involved in with people is to have to deal with a family that have ungrateful children. What a tragic situation it is. How sad it is when this happens. And so it is so. The psalmist is right. There's no question about that. Uh, that uh, when God acts as he has acted and what he has done and he enjoys his children to come before him uh, with grateful hearts and thanksgiving. I think about our forefathers as they had that first thanksgiving. Our mind always goes back to that first time and we wonder what they really had to be thankful for in relation to what you and I have today. For everything that they had the cause to be thankful for, you and I have had it multiplied a thousand times. Has it ever been so much given to a people upon the face of the earth as it is to you and to me? Now, dear friends, let me say to you that we do have a, a great heritage. And again, we have seen the blessings of God today. Because you see, he is, as a farmer have sown the seeds, he has touched the seeds and it has brought forth a hundredfold and a thousandfold in, in our day. And perhaps the only nation within the world or any nation of any size that has a surplus product, and we have it within this country of ours today. We do have a great heritage to be thankful for. I wonder, maybe you're different than I am, but you know sometimes I take all of this that God has given for granted. And that's tragic. When I know that deep within my heart and my soul that God expects some gratitude on my part and from me, because of how he has blessed me and what he has given to me. He expects it from you too. And what I say for myself, I can say for you. The only thing being is that you may be more disciplined within your life and show your gratitude to him more properly than I do. But let us think about it this morning for just a, a few moments. But what we have that uh, we just take for granted, this ability and capability or this uh, privilege and opportunity that we have uh, to say what we want to say. We can criticize anyone, anything, anywhere, any place. Sometimes I think we ought to be a little bit more disciplined with our criticism, uh, but we can say what we will and say what we want to say. And no one's going to lock us up for it. And no one's going to banish us into Siberia or some other uh, foreign place and, and put us out of commission. And we have this opportunity and this ability and capability, and we can say what we, we want to. I don't think we have any problem with saying what we want to say. Maybe we ought to discipline just a little bit more. But what, uh, what a privilege it is. I saw a fellow the other day that reminded me of a situation that happened a long time ago within my ministry. In fact, it was over at, uh, at Audubon Park. And if you've ever been in the Audubon Park Church, you know that in their fellowship hall, the back of it is completely out of the ground because the front of it is on a grade. You see, you come in on the front floor. Well, anyway, it's a beautiful, it's just a beautiful fellowship hall. It's just a beautiful thing. Well, one day... I was closer connected with the young people than I am today, and we decided we was going to have a taffy pull. It was about this time of the year. And we had that taffy pull, and I don't know, we had 40 million young people to show up for taffy pull, so we would pull taffy. Well, that was a tragic mistake on my part. We had taffy all over everything, on the walls, on the ceiling. It was terrible, and, and I want to tell you, the board took me to task for that, too. I didn't have any more taffy pulls in that church, i tell you that. And they said what they wanted to say, and and they weren't too kind about it either. And so I got the message, but we can say anything we want to. Now you think about that. 
we just take that for granted. And, and we can worship the way that we, we want to worship. And if this doesn't uh, suit our fancy here, we can go across the street or, or down the road or somewhere else. And to find a place where we really feel that this is the way that I can express myself to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the kingdom of God. Worship of oneself is a meaningful experience. You see, if you were in some of the other countries of the world, and I was astounded to read here not too long ago that even in some of these South American countries, that many of the Protestant people, and I think the, you mentioned, if you read it as I did, especially the Baptists are being persecuted severely. And some of them are, are being killed uh, because they want to practice the worship the way that they see it. And we think about it here in our country, we take it for granted. That's a... Uh, no big deal. Well, it is a big deal. If you think about it in relation to the rest of the world, do you know that two-thirds of the world do not have the privilege and opportunity that you have to choose the way to worship or to worship the way that you want to, to come right out in front of God and everybody in worship? Many of them have to find a back place, a back room in which to worship in or be killed. And think about traveling. That never occurs to you. The only thing that you need to travel is a car, a good credit card, and you're on your way, or a good banker, whichever the case might be, and you're on your way to travel. You don't have to ask anyone, anything, anywhere, any place. You don't have to stop at the borders either. You don't have to stop when you go across into Indiana or, or Georgia or, or wherever it might be as you go out of state. But if you was in another country, almost like uh, there's our states over there, every time that you cross the border, you'd have to show a passport, a visa, they'd search your car and shake you down and ask a bunch of questions like you wouldn't believe. But here, you want to move to California, who do you ask? Sometimes you don't even ask your wife, you just take off. Well, anyway, you just go. You read in the paper here not too long ago, where a couple was here and hadn't been here too long, they wanted to move from here, I think it was, and wanted to go to California, is where they wanted to go. And they asked who they had to see to be able to go to California. Well, you don't ask anybody to go to California. If you want to go and you have the money and you want to move there, you just take off and go. Think about that. Isn't that wonderful? No one tells you where you have to live, really. You can just go and... And do your thing wherever you want to do it. And the system of government is absolutely fantastic. With such dignity and honor. One changes from one to the other. Aren't you proud of the president-elect and the president that is retiring? And he's such a gracious man. It's what the government ought to be. When it gets ready to change direction, it happens without someone being shot or carried off or banished out of the country or somewhere. He can have a uh, dignified and, and I like what he said I like what our retiring president said he said he didn't think it was uh, uh, being keeping with the uh, next president to, to go into the type of business that he was in I like that uh, I, I think he's right really uh, they have a special place among us these people who have achieved uh, the leadership of our country and and I'd like to think of him uh, going and coming and and speaking his piece where when and whatever he had to, to say you know, I never thought much of my citizenship, really, until I met people who coveted what I had and took for granted. I'll never forget the first encounter I had with this. It, was, it came through it to me as a shocker, really. And I didn't want to be there to start with, the Second World War. I, I can remember exactly the situation. I can close my eyes and see the town, a little town by the name of Crayfield, Germany, about uh, 15 miles off the Rhine River. I was there when the war was over. Of course, I was just a child, you know. Anyway, I was there in that town, and our bombers had been over that town for six minutes, and they had leveled it. It was about a town the size of E-Town, about 150,000 people, maybe a little bigger than E-Town. 
It was a beautiful town, but it had been leveled completely. As of just a few buildings left, and the rest of them were left was in terrible shape. It just almost wiped the town out. Well, anyway, while they were within that town, stayed there longer in that town than any other place, I think. And so I got to meet a young man there. I think he was about 13 or 14 years of age. And uh, my little buddy had been named of Fritz. His father had been killed during the war, and his mother, because of the war, had completely emotionally and mentally had fallen apart. And so he was pretty much alone. Well, I fed him and took care of him. He wore GI clothes and this type of thing. He could speak perfect English more perfectly than I could because he had learned it out of books and I had a lot of slang in mine and still can't do as good as he did. Well, anyway, Fritz was a lone little critter and, and all of us just loved him. In fact, he worked for us in a way. He translated for us. Anything I wanted to do, Fritz was right with me and tell him what to do, they'd do it because he had about Oh, about 15 or 20 of the uh, German civilians working for us, and he just followed me around, and I was delighted to have him to follow me around. And he was enlightened because he read some of my letters, unknown to me, that my wife had written me. Well, anyway, uh, I decided, well, I'll bring Prince home with me. I'll adopt him. He wanted me to adopt him. And so I went down to the Red Cross and tried to get them to help me to adopt Fritz. The lady there in charge of the Red Cross there in Germany, she took a look at me and she says, young man, says you need somebody to adopt you. And so I ended that. But here's the thing. Now I said all that to say this, that when I left from that place, Fritz wanted to go so bad. I know, I know just as sure as I'm standing here at this very moment. If I'd have said to Fritz, now Fritz, listen, if you'll cut your right arm off, you can go with me. We'll work it out. I think that that young man would have cut his arm off without any hesitation at all. He would have. I, I know he would have. He would have given everything, even part of his physical body, if he could have been adopted and been brought into this country. Now, you know that to be so. Read the papers. Look what happened around the world. People are dying in order to, to get into this country to be a citizen here. They'd give up everything that they have. They give up their wealth, their possessions, they give up their family, not for a few days, a few weeks, but forever. To be a citizen of this country, and you and I, well, it's like Paul said. You'd find the most interesting story that you'll ever want to read in relation to citizenship. If you'll turn the book of Acts, 22nd chapter, along about the 28th verse, you will find a very interesting thing happened to the Apostle Paul. He was out of his country and he was on a missionary trip and he was preaching to a group of people, a group of Jewish people that should have been God's people and they were in a sense. And you remember he made them so mad when he was preaching to them that they got so mad they wanted to kill him. And they called the Roman authorities in and said, take this guy away. He is nothing but a bunch of trouble. He is always upset and everything. He's talking against this, that, and the other. Take him away. And so I remember the captain of the guard took him away and said, you take that character in the courtyard and take him in there and tie him to the post where we whip people. You tie him to the post and get ready to whip him. That's what we're going to do with it. So they took old Paul in there and tied him to the post. And while he was tying him to the post, you remember the whipping? Paul turned to the captain of the guard and he said, do you do this to, to a Roman citizen without trial? And this guy said, do you mean tell me you're a Roman citizen? He says, I am. And so this scared this captain as so I went in and got to commander. And brought the commander out, you know, and said, Say, this man says he's a citizen of Rome. Now you got to get the picture of Paul there. He must have been in tattered clothes and stripped down to the waist and ready to be beaten and look like everything but a Roman citizen. And this commander took one look at Paul, and I can almost tell you what went on within his mind. 
Well, how could that kind of a character claim to be a Roman citizen? And so the commander said to Paul, said, uh, listen, said I, said, I paid a great sum of money. I paid a great sum of money for my citizenship in Rome to be a Roman, to have a citizenship here. I paid a great sum of money. As if, say, Paul, you never saw that much money in your life and never will. You know what Paul said? He said to him, he says, yes, but I was freeborn. I was born here. I was born a Roman citizen. Now you transfer that over just, just a little over here where we are. And we can say in the greatest kingdom that's ever been and ever will be upon the face of this earth, the one that's now, the one to come, we can say that yes, that's right. As Paul says, Jesus did something for us on the cross that made it possible for us to be born here. We are born in the kingdom of God. We are free born by choice. We are born into the kingdom of God. Now, I've said everything to you to say this statement here. You can forget everything else. I hope you don't forget what I'm going to say to you now. There is one thing upon the face of this earth that keeps me reminded of who I am and what I am and what I have inherited and what my destiny really is. And that's the church. That's the church. Oh, it's the church. Say what you want to about the church. And say what you will, but I want to tell you, folks, that the greatest privilege and the greatest opportunity that you have upon the face of this earth that you'll ever have is found right here, right here, being part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It brings to you your greatest privilege and also your greatest opportunity. Now I want to ask you a simple question. I know this in the deepest part of my soul and my heart that this is right. I know it to be so. I know, and I know what I know. Isn't she then worthy of your best support? Isn't she worthy then? Jesus said, you know, this is the one thing that Jesus said outside of you that he's going to come back for. And that's his church. That's his church. It's his. That's what Paul said. He purchased it. He bought it with his own blood. He did it. And you and I have access to be a part of it. We are born here, freeborn, out of choice. Isn't she worthy of then of your faithfulness? Isn't she worthy of your commitment? Isn't she worthy of your prayer? Isn't she worthy then to share in whatever you have the way that God has blessed you? The greatest thing, the greatest thing that you and I have the opportunity of being really a part of now and for eternity, we're part of it today. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of His words, finishing the work He started and making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven.